Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Dr. James Lott. He's a graduate of pharmacy school at Chicago State, but he also has a master's in public health policy analysis at University of Chicago and a certificate in healthcare innovation from MIT and is the founder of Scripted.co. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Lott. Hey, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. Super excited about today. Yeah, me too, because you did an op-ed for uh, Crane Chicago Business, which is obviously out of your state in Chicago, Illinois, and how they can save millions of dollars by making medications, I'm going to use quotes, over-the-counter. Can you kind of elaborate on what your thoughts were with this? Yeah, the way this came about was the state had just passed uh, a law. I think they became either the 17th or 18th state to allow pharmacists to essentially independently prescribe birth control. I guess it's not entirely independently, which is another topic, but I was basically saying that the state, while it's great that they passed that law, they're still behind other very progressive states. And I know that uh, Illinois prides itself on being kind of a, a pillar of political progressiveness. So I just wanted to kind of put that out there that the state had a lot more work to do. Yeah. And so when you said they want to make stuff over the counter, obviously we're talking things like birth control, which you've seen other, other states do. Were you talking like pharmacist directed? Like, you know, you can come in and get metformin and just got to get some labs done. Or like you can come in and get prep uh, from like HIV or just, hey, there's 800 milligrams of ibuprofen. That's appropriate based off this. Here you go. Yeah. So to be specific, it's kind of hard to be really specific because this is a very emerging kind of opportunity for pharmacists around the country. So first off, let me let me define over the counter. For the general public, if you see other initiatives similar to, you know, what I was basically prescribed, like what I was basically suggesting, what I was trying to go for was just the, the fact that the public could understand the fact that they can go to their pharmacy without a prescription and get these things. Now, pharmacists are likely familiar with the term standing order or collaborative practice agreement. These would actually be CPA slash collaborative practice agreement or standing order uh, type visits. But just for the general public, we make them, we, we call it over-the-counter, similar to what we do for naloxone, just to make sure that patients know they can get these things. Now, again, kind of the interesting thing is this does exist already in a very libertarian mer- manner in some states. Clearly, um, in Idaho, for folks who have been kind of paying attention to this, pharmacists in Idaho can theoretically prescribe anything that they want as long as they're well-trained to do it. The law is very, very broad that allows that. And, you know, I'll go into that a little bit later, but I think that pharmacists are still figuring out what that looks like to, for, for them to feel comfortable prescribing. And also, there also needs to be a market opportunity. Just prescribing random things uh, when you need to isn't, isn't <laughs> like sustainable or scalable. Um, so we, we still have to figure that out. But birth control is definitely a great start. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things here that a lot of pharmacists, we're very black and white. We tend to be introverts, type A, stuff like that, right? But when you look at this, you really have to know your scope of practice and like what you're confident in and what you can do. And uh, shout out to Idaho there, who we had uh, Alex Adams' uh, wife on the podcast before. Alex went to school with me in Toledo and then kind of led the initiatives over there at the Idaho Board of Pharmacy and some of the major basically libertarian leading things that they're doing out there to kind of lead the way, which again, 
Idaho and, you know, I think Chicago, Illinois, are very different areas, but both might have a spot where something like this could really help. And with pharmacists, you know, you might be able to, if you're looking at like a billing insurance situation, be able to bill for using your knowledge to then give them a medication, which, you know, maybe there's a conflict there and you're looking at if they're prescribing high price meds. But again, that's where you really need to know your scope of practice. You probably shouldn't be doing, you know, Janumet XR <laughs> without getting some labs done and things like that. But to your point, this is definitely a case where you can use our brain with that. So, you know, when we're talking about scope of practice, you're a pharmacist, I'm a pharmacist. How do you see where we're able to like know, it's not random, like you said, what our scope of practice is with stuff like this? Yeah. So I think this is a great uh, time to, number one, give a shameless plug on uh, scripted and what we're doing there and talk about why the question you just asked is so important. So scripted.co is a platform that is, we're basically trying to enable all pharmacies to be a point of care destination. The pandemic obviously sped things up quite a bit. You know, we'll talk more about that in a bit, I'm sure. Uh, but but it's, it's time, right? It's time. And the question is not, you know, when, but it's like, at this point, it's like, what should pharmacists be looking to the future to doing? But the future is here now. And what I will say is pharmacists are really busy. You know, we're, we're battling with PBMs. If you're a community pharmacist for a large retail chain, you're battling you know, against a lot more than that, you're, you're, you're trying to make sure that your employer is treating you fairly and, and all these other things. Pharmacists are not, we're not regulatory experts. We're not marketers. We're not magicians. Uh, <laughs> the people here who are trying to, to trying to help the general public and the general public, you know, they, they put a lot of trust in us. So what we're doing at Scripted is we are very clearly defining what pharmacists can be doing, should be doing, and these are things that are scalable. So you, it's kind of a turnkey solution. And these services you can launch in, in as little as, as a couple of days. Uh, but these are things that patients have a high demand for. And these aren't things that, you know, we just kind of coming off the cuff and pharmacists aren't well trained or well prepared. Um, we are a human-centered design thinking kind of company. So we've designed processes that are great, work great for the patients and pharmacists. So both both parties feel delightful in offering the services and getting the services at a pharmacy. All right. I'm going to give you another shameless plug here, but like, can you give me an example or two? Yeah, sure. So far on the platform, some of the biggest things that we've done are urinary tract infections. In fact, the first transaction we've ever had, and this is one of my favorite story because it's true. Didn't have to make this up. Founders make it. <laughs> I'm not making this one up. But um, a 41-year-old woman went to her local doctor's office in a small town in Idaho. She, she knew she had a UTI. She's had um, at least one in the past year. Um, her doctor said, hey, I'm sorry, but I can't see you. You can schedule an appointment for three weeks out, but that's all I got. Basically leaving this woman to her own uh, devices to go figure out what she can do. And like most Americans, she went to her local pharmacy and she um, basically asked the pharmacist, hey, you know, what can I take for this uh, UTI? The pharmacist said, actually, we're using this new program called Scripted. The woman was able to quickly fill out a questionnaire. The pharmacist reviewed it on our platform seamlessly and was able to write her an antibiotic uh, for her UTI, followed up automatically with the platform in three days, and the woman was fine. And we handled all the regulatory stuff on the back end. And, and my friend's like, look, this is the future of pharmacy. Yes, we're busy. We always have time to help people who need us. And I think that these are the type of services that pharmacists should be looking forward to offering in the future. And our employers should be making sure that they have the time to do that. 
You know, that's crazy too, because I've had that similar situation come to me numerous times where, and I'll use the exact same situation. A woman comes in and she's like, hey, you know, I know I've got a UTI. What do you guys have? And I'm like, ah, you got to get seen. And then they'll be like, well, can't you just go grab some Azo? And I'll be like, yeah, you know, you could. That's probably not the greatest thing in the world. You probably need antibiotics. And then they're like, well, so you're saying like there's nowhere else open. I have to find urgent care if they're open or go to an ER. I'm like, yeah, if you want to get treated tonight, that's probably it. You can do telehealth, but like, yeah, I don't know if that's really going to work for a UTI. They might just kind of guess at it. But then again, if she's doing telehealth, what's different than me doing it when I'm right there? Because I can ask the same questions and I'm just tearing down that technology wall that if you work in some of the areas that I've worked in is a huge barrier. So I think that's really cool that you're doing something like that. Yeah, and I, I I put it all out to the pharmacists that are willing, to the states that are enabling this policy, and to my team who's extremely dedicated on the this whole um, movement that's about to start happening. Yeah, and like I said, we're seeing tons of that stuff. We're seeing tons of telehealth already, and you know why not keep that money in state? I've had prescriptions come from California before, and and then they're sending you the script for somebody who's like right in front of you, and you're like, well, did you really do anything I didn't do? I mean, sure, maybe you have a different knowledge set, maybe your scope's a little bit different. But, you know, you know, you know, some something that was super encouraging when we started reaching out to boards of pharmacies and I'm lucky I don't exactly know the um, the executive director of the board of pharmacies name in Idaho. But when we talked to them, they basically said, um, and I'm going to paraphrase because I can't quote because I didn't write it down. Something like, hey, if patients can get, you know, an ED pill or a birth control or UTI medication online at. Roman or hymns or whatever, then pharmacists, we are well-educated to do that too. So um, she applauded us on our efforts and they've been a great partner. And I really, really wish that other states would kind of take up the same approach because look, you know, pharmacists right now are, from my perspective, a lot of them are, you know, fairly, fairly exhausted with everything going on. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that I'm, I'm extremely, somebody's got to be optimistic. I was a community pharmacist for several years. I was a pharmacy manager. I loved my job, absolutely loved it. I, I wouldn't be here if, if it wasn't for those experiences that I had as a community pharmacist, to be honest with you. So, but look, the future is, I, I saw another article yesterday and it showed that all the costs in healthcare, the top 10 leading costs in healthcare all went up the only area in healthcare that decreased in terms of their their uh, cost and revenue was pharmaceuticals. And in my opinion, it might be a, we might be at a race uh, to the bottom. I guess my pharmacy friends are just going to have to trust me with some of the relationships I have with um, executives at a lot of these Fortune 500 companies. That a lot of them are exploring the future, and the future is clinical services. And because these are higher margin things, this is what we went to school for. And with technology. It's just going to make this like more delightful and, and um, you know, you'll feel like you're you feel like you're really helping your community. That pharmacist that I mentioned earlier, she called us as soon as it was done and just told us how cool it was to be able to like help that woman. And obviously the woman who had the UTI, she felt a ton of relief because she didn't have to go run around in circles and, and get something that was like a Band-Aid instead of a, a painkiller. So. You know, and with so many different like CLIA or at home type of tests that people can do these days, like, you know, pharmacies are already running COVID, you know, flu tests are essentially run the same way. You can even have strep tests run the same way, depending on what machine, all in the same machine even. And all that stuff that, why would we send them to an ER? Why would we, you know, basically diagnose them there with the machine and then send them away? And with, 
fingers crossed that Pfizer has this pill coming out to help treat COVID. If somebody tests positive right there and, you know, they're like, hey, I've got to go to grandma's in a week or I've got someone taking care of at home. Hey, look, you're positive. Here's a pill. There you go. And I didn't have to risk anybody's life at the hospital by sending you in there. Like that's like, and plus you saved the ER bill. Like it's like a quadruple win, if you will, in my mind. I knew I liked you, Eric. <laughs> I, I just came up with that as we were talking about it. But that's like the way I look at it when it comes to, especially something like COVID. It's literally an infectious disease. The more places you go, the more people that could be affected by it. Absolutely. This is a major shift. Like This is like a complete, like I don't want to say 180, but like maybe 90 degree turn from where healthcare is in most places these days. How do you think and or how would you execute a major shift like this in a fashion that is safe for patients and the medical professionals you know, whether it be doctors, pharmacists, whoever, right? Like how, what does it take to make a shift like this? It takes a lot of, it takes a crazy person <laughs> and a lot of optimism, a lot of optimism. And, and the time has to be right too. Yeah. You need, it, it, it takes quite the formula, but what I'm, what I'm really lucky about is that we actually have some great investors. Our investors are some of the same investors who invested in PillPack and Uber early on. And my team is extremely dedicated and motivated to this. Like literally when we when we started with this problem, the, the problem statement we used was we have sad pharmacists who all hate their jobs and we <laughs> need them to we need them to do this for patients and do this for themselves. So let's figure out the best, like let's figure out the, the most amazing experience possible. So instead of pharmacists thinking that there's another task that they have to do they're excited about doing this. And that's that's the truth. That's literally how we started. And we are extremely proud of what we built. We have heard only great things from the customers that have used it, from the uh, pharmacists that have used the platforms. And every single time, it just brings us so much joy to see patients who who like think this is like how healthcare should be, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's really, it's really exciting to see all this. What's funny too is if you go to other countries, it kind of operates this way, right? Like we're, we are more of the outlier when it's something that can be easily treated, easily diagnosed without a ton of work, right? Also, when we look at what the pharmacy is going through right now with the staffing issues, this, that, and the other, this makes the case that you can actually overstaff a little bit. And I don't mean that as in like just have 35 pharmacists working by one counter, but like maybe you need an extra pharmacist back there. And by doing that, you can offer these type of services or you can have an extra technician so that the pharmacist can be freed up to do some of this. Not saying that they shouldn't be involved in dispensing. I think that is important to help catch errors and catch you know other odd things that come up, you know, from working in the community. But let us use our brain and let us practice the top of our education, not just the top of our license, because that changes with every freaking state. But our education is pretty standardized and formal. Yeah. No, and I, I completely agree. Um, yeah, this is exactly how it is. But see, the, the difference is we are in the most, we are the most regulated profession in one of the most regulated industries in the United States. Yep. And um, back to back to the point that pharmacists are not marketers, regulatory experts are magicians. So there, there's a lot that needs to be done. And, and um, you know, we're, we're trying to help think about this to make it more like other countries and expand access. But the, the timing is, is right. Something that we are we're excited about, like we're looking at the data now. And, um, you know, the old story used to be like, you know, used to tell your congressman on, on pharmacy legislative day. 93% of people live within five miles of a pharmacy. <laughs> it's still a great, it's still a great point, but we don't have to tell that story anymore. Pharmacists just administered over 150 million doses of the COVID-19 vaccine. Where would the United States of America be right now 
if it wasn't for pharmacists who are busting their butts. And finally, I'm very proud of this, speaking out about, you know, the things that they need from their employers to do better and to do more for their communities so they can keep them healthy. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're excited about that, but we don't have to tell the story about the value of pharmacists anymore. When I used to go out to investors and get crushed and punched in the face and kicked in the, in the stomach by them, I used to have to like sell the value to pharmacists about pharmacists a year ago. I don't have to do that. People get it. They know how important their pharmacists. The investor on the other end probably got his vaccine from a pharmacist. So uh, people are people are starting to reimagine their relationship with the pharmacy staff. Yeah, and I think that's a good thing too because people just come to us now, and it's like what we're expected. And I don't think that the staffing model has caught up with the demand for a number of reasons. But especially when you look at, you know, you said vaccines, look how many tests we gave too, right? Like if you're seeing CVS and Walgreens do 30, 40, 50 tests a day, some rapid, some mail out, some whatever, like, and this was all just like almost off cuff with very little like thought applied to it. It's like, well, we tried this model. We think it could work now roll it out to 9,000 stores and kind of go from there. And this is a much easier rollout because it's like, hey, you know that brain you have and all those things you were taught in pharmacy school? Let's start using it. You already know. Like whatever your system is, we can add in some checks and balances. And like you said, with scripted.co, maybe here's like an algorithm to kind of follow. But it's your decision. It's your call. Whatever you think, go do it. And then they can just roll with that. And a lot of us, a lot of us feel comfortable with that. A lot of us might not. But it's literally what we were trained to do. I know we were taught basic diagnoses in pharmacy school yep. to the point where we can do some of this stuff. Like I'm not going to go and, you know, reset someone's broken arm because I know that's not what I can do there in the pharmacy. But, you know, that's what an ER is for as an example and why we should use them less. Right. And and, and something I would love to, to respond to that by, though, Eric, is we have um, we definitely have a staffing problem in pharmacy there is no doubt about it i mean can you can't get away from it if you go on um, reddit or or studentdoctor.com whatever it is yeah uh, yeah it's like just like blasphemy about employers and I, and, I, and i get it it makes a lot of sense but i want to point to what pharmacists can do i remember a journalist contacted me a couple months ago and asked me if i could speak on the pharmacist burnout through the pandemic and i'm look I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that because I for a lot of reasons. But the mo the main reason is the best person to tell this story is the pharmacist that's in it right now, who has that perspective. You won't get, in my opinion, you won't get a better story from that. Now, what was what was difficult for me, and I don't want to I'm not judging anyone, but what was difficult for me is I called on the pharmacists I knew, and not one of them would speak up. I told them, hey, this would be completely anonymous. I've worked with this journalist before. We have lots of trust with each other, but the, but no one would do it. They all turned it down. And and the, the problem is, if if the public doesn't know about it, how how are things supposed to get better, right? Yeah. But I am extremely thankful because now pharmacists are starting to organize a bit better. Um, I think the channel that you run on Facebook is tremendously helpful. There's definitely powers and numbers, and you have people like. You know, this, this podcast is a channel that builds awareness to to the issues. Folks like Bled Tanoy, um, I hope I'm saying her name correctly, are, are leading things. But we have to band together and be one voice. And people can't be in the, in the um, silos uh, by themselves for this to get any better. Closed mouths don't get fed and silent protests typically don't work. 
So. Yeah, yeah. A friend of the podcast, Blood, would appreciate that shout out. She does amazing work right now and is just we're doing it every night like crazy. I I keep in touch with her and she's working hard. But you know, another thing you hit on there too, right? Is you're talking about some of these work issues too. There's really not a reason for it because we have a glut of pharmacists, right? Like the net growth of pharmacy jobs over the next, I think it was 10 years, looks to be a negative 3% growth. But we still have them coming out of pharmacy school. So it's not like they're going to like just shut the spigot off here. But we have a nurse shortage. We have an MD shortage. We have all these other shortages. What if we took that off the plate for some of them so we can then the pharmacists we do have can expand their role we now there's not as big of a nurse shortage as big of an md shortage and now we're using pharmacists maybe there's a little bit of a shortage all around but it's more even balanced and we can get people more access to care things like that because of doing this quote over the counter version where we're kind of like self prescribing or not self prescribing but prescribing to the patients who we already have access to it like i don't have to go find a pharmacy i can turn around and go hey, there's the med I have in stock, you know, Cipro. Okay, crap, I've only got 500, you need 250s. Cut it in half, here you go. Here's a pill cutter with it for free. You're taken care of out the door. And that's like so many logistical hurdles just like broken in the process, which is why I love that because it just it just solves problems and gets stuff done. That's why I like it so much. Is that the way you're seeing it? Yeah, Eric, and, and I, unfortunately I can't say too much. Whenever I go, whenever <laughs> I like talk to pharmacists about that, they all think I'm crazy. But I have I have some insight and some some perspectives that are a bit different. You know, I, I'd like to see uh, the scripted team as putting the plumbing together for this to happen and connecting to the broader healthcare system so that the looming physician shortage by 2034, 200,000 physicians can be filled by pharmacists um, to some degree. Obviously, we are well educated. I mean, I went to pharmacy school doing things that I never would have imagined. I'm like, why would why would I need to do this as a pharmacist? <laughs> but you know, now it's 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 making a lot more sense today. But I, I hope pharmacists can be optimistic about the future. I, I can tell you from my perspective with the conversations I'm having with you know with leaders of of these pharmacy companies, with uh, payers, um, VPs or vice presidents at payer groups, folks are starting to get excited and they're asking how they can help and what pharmacists can do and starting to put plans and, and networks in place for this to start happening. Exactly what you just said, Eric. Yeah. That, well, that's good to know on the back end. It, it definitely, you know, hope springs eternal in that case for <laughs> to hear that comment. When you talk to people like from the general public or something like that, how many of them are just like, yeah, that makes sense. Why can't we do that? Like, like, or how many of them are like, no, 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 I have to see an MD. Like, like what is like the vibe you get from that? Yeah, so uh, I wish you would ask me this in like two weeks. Uh, in two weeks, we have um, we're gonna have uh, Boston Consulting Group. They're coming out. They're helping us out with some early data, and they're gonna show us like what patients think about getting care at the pharmacy versus their MDs. But I mean, the premise for how I got started again, I was on the gr- I was on the ground floor as a community pharmacy, and I can't remember. I mean, I can't even count how many times patients was like, "This is stupid. Why do I gotta wait for him or him?" <laughs> Like they just want to bill me for nothing. Like I need to, I need to call you and to get a refill and you're going to charge me. That's stupid. I've been taking this for, you know, we've all yeah. heard that. Yeah. yeah so yeah. patients and, and, and the, in the age of the, the digital age and patients and these smartphones that have come out, patients want more autonomy over their healthcare. And the pharmacy is probably the equalizer to that. And physicians have been giving physicians and some other groups have been getting lots of tired excuses for why this doesn't exist. 
But, you know, in my opinion, from my perspective, after the pandemic and with the technology we're helping to create and other companies in the space are helping to create, time's up for that. The data is going to come soon and we're going to be we're going to be able to see the real um, power that pharmacists have. Um, and pharmacists are definitely a force to be reckoned with, but they're even more so a force to be reckoned with when they're well staffed by their employers. Yes. Can't beat that point enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, especially if they're going to be doing something like this, right? Like you can't expect me yeah. to try and properly treat a UTI while answering three phones and throwing pills in a bottle and doing everything else. And then answering questions that tech has or running COVID tests or giving a shot. Yeah. Like anyway, I'm, I'm not an octopus, yeah. but I, I don't have enough arms to do all that. Um, but to your point though, here, just to kind of give listeners a little bit behind the behind the music on the podcast, usually takes me a week or so to get stuff out. So I will make sure to put that in the show notes, even if it's not on the initial release of the podcast. So when that study comes out, it will be in the show notes. I'll probably end up resharing the episode and might even add a little bit at the very end after I kind of read through it too. So this might be like a, a double release, if you will, of this podcast episode just because of the timing okay. of it. So, yeah. um, hey, you've been an awesome guest, Dr. Lott. I can't let you go, though, without asking you the same questions I ask everybody. So I think because you're one of those eternal optimist guys, I see you smiling on my camera here. Hopefully you'll have a, a little bit different response to it, but we'll see. If you could change one thing in pharmacy that is not a law, what would you change? Can I get two or no? <laughs> if they're quick, you can do two. Okay, two. Um, the first one is I, I, I really want employers to start um, listening to pharmacists. They're too, they're too valuable to the community. Our communities need pharmacists so, so dearly, as we've all seen. And our employers need to start treating our community pharmacists better. That's number one. Number two is I hope that pharmacists can just meet me halfway and be a bit more optimistic. Like, I, I get it, but we can't, we can't move forward if we're all defeated. So those are my two things. I could not echo those sentiments enough. And I think in my new role, I'm a lot more optimistic because I'm the one who's making some of those decisions. But I can definitely, I've been on the other side and been like, why the hell is it going like this? So I think I can see both sides of that coin. And sometimes I do slip back in that old mode and have to go kind of refresh myself. So I'll, I'm going to have to start texting you to be like, all right, send me something good. But but uh, I think that's a good way to call it out there. If you could change, add, remove one law in pharmacy, state, federal, whatever it is, what would it be and why? It would definitely be for exactly what we're trying to do at Scripted for pharmacists to have a broad prescriptive authority. But I do understand very clearly that uh, changing the law does not start a movement. Being very respectful to all my pharmacy brothers and sisters in Idaho, they've changed the law. But from our research, contacting 50 to 75 pharmacists and talking long with them, we haven't seen that much movement with this, with their newfound power. But, you know, we think that we think that that's an issue worth solving with technology. So, um, but yeah, the broad prescriptive authority would be very helpful in, in allowing pharmacists to bill for their services, of course. Yeah. And I think of so many cases where we're already seeing that, I guess the cracks in the dam, like you're seeing, you can do Narcan, you can do vaccines, you can do this. And you're literally, okay, it's a standing order technically. But you're the one making all the decisions. Like that doctor's never seeing the patient who's on that standing order. They're just like, "Yeah, you got a PharmD, go handle it." So I think that's a that's a good way to uh, to do that. I hope that you guys really take off at Scripta.co. I love the concept. I think it's something that really just needs to happen. Like I don't know how else to say it. It just needs to happen so that pharmacists can use our knowledge to help drive down those other shortages, so we can also like just expand access to care 
and then I'm I'm cheap. I don't like paying taxes. I'll be honest. I do, but I don't like paying them. So if I can cut down the ER bills, right, and how much that those just get covered by government payments, that's that's better for my pocket too. So if it's better for my pocket, it's better for you. We both win. Let's just do it. But hey, thanks for coming on the podcast, Doctor Lot. You've been amazing. I love what you're doing, guests. Check out the show notes. There's going to be tons of stuff in here, and it's probably going to get updated just because of some the timing of this episode. So thanks for coming on. Thank you, Eric. And listeners, as always, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.